Hold on. I gotta feed my Tamagotchi or it's gonna beep during the episode. Hey, welcome to Not to Oscars! This is a podcast about criminally underrated performances in modern cinema getting the recognition they deserve. Each week, uh, one of us, your lovely host, nominates a performance for the illustrious Vincent D'Onofrio Award, an award of our own creation birthed from our mutual love for Vincent D'Onofrio's impeccable performance as Edgar the Bug in Men in Black. You know, I've been thinking about that scene uh, where he's, like, walking down the street, like, just kind of, like, in the body, and, like, a, a passerby walks by, and he, like, shoves his hand out at him, like, he's like, talk to the hand! And I just can't... <laughs> I don't know why he chose that action in that moment, but I can't get out of my head. He's just like, oh, oh. And then he... D- talk to the hand. Anyway, I'm Josh. Josh had only been on the planet for, like, a scene. And already had assimilated to the culture. Uh, anyway, I'm Josh, and uh, we're also joined by uh, Erica and Anthony. Hello. Hey, everyone. Oh, hello, everyone. Uh, what's going on with you both? Um, well, I am broadcasting to you tonight from lovely Western Massachusetts in my parents' den. Yeah. Are there that... any VHS wow. tapes of Muzzy available? Uh, like, are they like nearby? They are in the cellar. <laughs> I had the French the ones. The cellar. You have a den and a cellar? Fuck yeah, Wait. this is New England, baby. But tell me it's <laughs> specifically for VHS tapes. It's not like a cellar for just to be a cellar. It's like specific. Uh, literally, I came home two weeks ago or whenever it was. And my dad was like, oh, I just finished cleaning out all these VHS tapes from the basement. Um, See, has somebody somebody is writing all of your dialogue right right now for you out of a 90s Disney movie. No, the, the but the Muzzy was... It might not have even been VHS. It might have just been cassette. I can't remember. Um, I but... would break quarantine to come over and watch Muzzy. Oh, man. That fucking I'm commercial. <laughs> Anthony, um... I'll, come, pick me, come pick me up. Uh, we're going to West Boston. <laughs> like, West Boston. I was quarantined for two weeks without leaving. <laughs> Wait, did you say West... <laughs> did you say West Boston or West Massachusetts? I just assumed you were in Boston. Oh. Uh... Is there a West Boston? Uh, there's an East Boston. But no West? I don't think so. There has to be a West Boston. Like, there's no way that there isn't one, There's not, like, an area of town that's just referred to as West Boston. There's there's what's created. Yeah, we gotta start West Boston, just like somebody needs to start East Chicago. (laughs) But also... Like, Michigan just chilling? But also, I'm, like, roughly a two and a half hour drive from Boston. (laughs) So you're in West Boston. Yes, correct. <laughs> so you're in far okay. West Boston. Huh? Oh, damn it. I thought <laughs> I mean, we were going to start a city. West West Boston. Um, how are you guys? I can't complain. I'm, I'm good. I'm good, too. Josh, I've got my, good, my yeah. party light karaoke machine on. Uh, my Tamagotchi is well fed. And uh, I've got three jars of fermenting goju chang in my windowsill. So uh, it's just about as good as it can get being at home. Sounds like a standard night in the Bowen household. Yeah, you know. Um, my dog celebrated his birthday yesterday. That was fun. <sighs> we, uh, Prince or Porgy. Or rather made him a cake. Happy birthday, um, Porgy. 
Oh, what kind of cake was it? A disgusting puppy cake because like <laughs> you can't put anything into it that would like be appetizing or appealing for humans. Uh, so like the cake itself is literally just pumpkin puree with like something else mixed in just to like solidify it to bind it all together and then once it's baked it doesn't taste like anything it just tastes like something it tastes like empty calories like if, if calories could be empty enough like they had no flavor that's what they are and then the frosting was like a mix of like applesauce and something but like it's the weirdest thing because it looks like a cake but it tastes like absolutely nothing and he loves it I thought so. you were going to tell me it was made of, like, meat or something. Yeah, that's what I would I have wish. expected. If it was made out of that, then, like, I might even be, like, trying to get in on it. Like, we could, like, split it and go half. But, I mean, it sounds like, like, like you were already getting in on it a little bit. Yeah. I had to try it just to, like, get an idea of it, you know? I was like, all right, like, why is, like, you know, this, like, something that he would even Anthony, like to we're... It's basically just peanut butter and pureed pumpkin, and that's it. And he goes apeshit for it. Anthony, we're all friends here. You can... You can tell us if you like the dog. I'm cake. on a very strict diet, and I've been eating puppy cake for the past three weeks. I've lost 14 pounds. <laughs> well, this is a moment of growth. Proud of you, Anthony. I actually think it's a moment of loss. <laughs> Dignity and weight. <laughs> Double oily. Well, for our first-time listeners, uh, one of us has a performance. Uh, that they've chosen to nominate this week, while the other two of us are going to score that argument uh, to determine if that performance does indeed uh, receive the award tonight. Uh, so this week we have Anthony. Uh, he was assigned a film from the year that I can never remember. What was the year again? I forgot. 1991. 1991. Okay, what do you got prepared for us? I have for you Lawrence Fishburne. In the 1991 classic *Boys in the Hood*. So I was conf- I was confused when you pitched this one originally because you said Larry Fishburne, and <laughs> yeah, that I did the joke. And I didn't also know I had never seen the movie before, so I was like, "Oh, Larry Fishburne." So, oh, new actor. New actor. <laughs> I love that. That's. <laughs> That you went into it like, oh, I'm about to like learn some new shit about this new guy who I've never heard of before. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed. (laughs) Uh, So, so Anthony, why don't you give us, uh, unless we got any other reactions to to Larry Fishburne (laughs) in this movie, uh, a little bit of synopsis of what this movie is about and what's what's going on with it. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, Boys in the Hood, uh, first movie uh, made by John Singleton, first movie written and directed by John Singleton, actually. Uh, coming of age drama uh, that takes place in the early 90s in LA. Um, the movie, um, super dope thing about it, it kind of came on the heels of Do the Right Thing, which is partially why I didn't want to to throw this up for a nomination, because I felt like, uh, it's like too much on the train of like, you know, uh, what we're experiencing now and like, you know, movies that really like, you know, stand up and kind of like, you know, are defining for the moment or what have you. But uh, I think the thing about the role and like, you know, like I'll get into a little bit later for Lawrence Fishburne is that it does really stand out as something that's different than his whole catalog. And it kind of takes looking at like his whole resume to be like, oh, this one actually does really stand alone from everything else you've done. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, point is, uh, the movie itself uh, stars Cuba Gooding Jr., Morris Chestnut, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, obviously. 
uh, Nia Long, Angela Bassett. Uh, a lot of black actors are in this. And for a lot of them, it's like one of like the first movies they'd really had the opportunity to do. Um, and if I were, you know, like having like, you know, the argument of movies that really have stood the test of time and like, you know, they do deserve to have gotten a lot more recognition than they did when they were first released. Um, this one's so high up on the list because you're dealing with racial tensions with police officers, you're dealing with gang violence, you're dealing with systemic racism that's, you know, ingrained in the societies and in the communities that they don't even realize exists until somebody like kind of points it out for them. Um, and even when it's done so, it's not done in like an aha moment, it's just like a, well, yeah, but we don't have any way of really fixing it because it's systemic and it just kind of exists. Um, so yeah, while it wasn't what I initially wanted to choose, I'm very happy that I went down this road and got to explore this movie again. What did you want to choose originally again? Originally, I wanted to choose Jungle Fever, um, right. which is another Spike Lee joint um, that came out the same years. I'm prepared to talk about why Lawrence Fishburne is deserving of the Vincent D'Onofrio Award in all, all right. five of the categories per usual. So, uh, unless we have any further comments, Anthony, why don't you go ahead and take it away with uh, Age Like a Fine Wine. Aged Like a Fine Wine. Now, outside of The Matrix and what lo what's love got to do with it, this is easily the most well-known role that Lawrence Fishburne has ever played. Which, I like, honestly, like, looking at his resume is kind of wild because there are so many other things that he's done that I've forgotten that he's been in, that he's done that have been just as great as, like, you know, some of his other roles. But as far as, like, you know, the career-defining stuff, this is pretty high up there. Um, he was only 30 years old when he made this. So very similar to a lot of the people that, like, you know, we've discussed. He had kind of just kind of, like, found his stride. And as far as, like, you know, the meat and just, like, the substance of the role, it's incredible. You're watching as a father is navigating being a dad to a kid that has never really had a father figure before. And all of the lessons that he teaches him throughout the entire movie are very much realistic and parallel what a black father would teach their child today. How you encounter the police and how you deal with that. How you deal with having sex for the first time. How you deal with just like, you know, your, your community and your neighbors and everybody that you associate yourselves with. Much like Do the Right Thing, uh, this is one of the most necessary movies to come out of its era, in large part due to the passion that everybody brought to the table to make this movie happen. And because of that, I think that's why it has stood the test of time, and it's still one of the best movies to come out uh, of modern cinema. All right. Well said. Well said, well said. All right. Uh, Erica, do you want to lead us off with uh, Aged Like a Fine One? All right. Um, so I know that I said earlier in the week that I um, had seen this movie before, but uh, when I watched it today, I realized that I had not. Um, so I think one of the things I found so remarkable about it is that it's crazy watchable. Like, even... Like, there's a lot of early 90s stuff that I think has some powerful powerful performances in it. But it's just, like, the story itself is just, like, not that watchable. And this, in particularly uh, Larry Fishburne's performance, is really, really watchable because it's just so still for most of it. Like, there's a lot of calmness to this performance so that when it's not calm, 
you are it's it's giving you that like anxiety and then you're like okay now I, I really gotta watch this and you're hanging on every every moment of of, of it <clears throat> so for me yeah, this this holds up for sure yeah i completely agree this um yeah it's it's a movie with a it, for me it's a movie with a purpose you know i i'm coming particularly and i realized this watching this movie uh Lawrence, or sorry, Larry Fishburne's, like, career I've seen through the lens of mostly, like, a white family, because I know him mostly through Apocalypse Now, and Pee-wee's Playhouse, and The Matrix, you know, and it's really interesting, like, watching him in this movie, and how well it's held up, and how all of the values that he, you know, his character brings to the table are so wonderful and how much power he gives to it and he's i i wanted to spend a while on this but i won't but i think he's an absolute dilf in this movie (laughs) he is so fucking good looking and he's so like calm and strong and i want to be like raised by him but also like with him it's very confusing and i've never thought that about uh larry fishman before but this movie really changed me Vanessa used to jokingly say that like this was like one of like her celebrity crushes, but only in this movie, not in anything else. I completely am on board for that. I am right there with her. Yeah, he, he's he's a major dilf. I'll 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 jump I'll jump on that train. Okay, I I gave the I gave this one a ten. I I think it's aged remarkably well, and his performance really stands out. I also give this a 10. And I'll be honest, I don't know if I, if I was watching this a year ago, if I would feel the same way. But uh, given the current climate in this country, um, I watched it and I, I mean, we can talk about this, but that gentrification monologue, I just was like, I don't know why this isn't all over the internet right now. Oh my God. There's so many such small moments in that movie that are distilled down into such simple dialogue that are so fucking poignant and real that's one of them the lessons that he teaches his kids on being a leader his kid on being a leader like and also like john singleton wasn't even that old when he made this joint like i think that's the thing that like kind of like trips me out is just like these guys were like our age turning in like the best work of their lives i read too this was like a thesis for him this was like part of his film school thesis and then he wound up turning into a feature feature film so like he he was really a young man when he originally thought about the idea for this which is also wild it's crazy the movie came out in 1991 um he was born in 1968 he was 23 years old when this movie came out jesus he um, was the youngest... When it came out. Like, that's crazy. He was the youngest... Uh, at the time he was nominated for Best Director, he was the youngest ever person to be nominated. It's insane. It's like, do the right thing to me is impressive because, like, oh, like, it's like he hit, like, you know, his stride and, like, he figured out the story that he wanted to tell at the age of 30 and it's incredible. But there's something to be said for the fact that John Singleton did it seven years earlier than spike lee did in his career at least which like i'm sure there's like a whole another conversation there from like you know what does that do for your career where like you know you 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 hit it out of the park that early yeah 
Yeah, if you think about it, though, like, can this movie exist without Do the Right Thing already being out in the world? Because nah, not at all. Because that, I mean, we when we did our episode on that, uh, we read through those reviews, right? And it got, like, totally trashed as being a not-at-all-realistic story. And the year this movie came out, they screened it at Cannes. Um, and when they did that, they screened it as specifically a movie that was pertinent and timely and, like, indicative of the time totally i think that the movie doesn't get nominated unless do the right thing comes out and does not get nominated yeah i think that it doesn't get the funding obviously without it because they realize oh this is something that people will go see and they'll spend money on so it's profitable um which then allows for other people to get you know opportunities on top of it and I think it also then gives the opportunity, too, for a really young director who seems kind of brash, who doesn't want to play by the rules, who's like, I have this thing and I want to get it made right now, where you're like, I'm willing to take the risk because maybe we can strike, you know, lightning twice in the same spot and then it happens, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. I think we should move on to our next category, which is Singular Sensation. Singular Sensation's great with this one specifically because Lawrence Fishburne was in mind when John Singleton wrote the script. Uh, Fun story here. John Singleton was a PA on Pee Wee's Playhouse while Lawrence Fishburne portrayed Cowboy Curtis on Pee Wee's Playhouse. I was hoping this would be brought up. When John Singleton wrote the script, he tried giving it to Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, and asked him multiple times, hey, have you read my script yet? Did you get to check this thing out yet? Like, what do you think? And Paul Rubens apparently never read it. But uh, he kept trying to get the script then to Lawrence Fishburne and was like, hey, like, I want you to read it. And Lawrence said, I don't want to read it until it's finished and it's ready to go. Let me know when you got it and then we can, like, make this thing happen. Two years later, he comes back to him and he's like, all right, the script's done. And Lawrence Fishburne, upon reading it, said that he cried by the time he got to the very last page of it. Uh, the fact that that much work went into it, he knew that much about this individual before he then delivered the script to him. And then the fact that like he then fought and like you know tried to make sure that not only did he get to direct the script that he wrote, but that he also got to have the actors in it that he wanted. Uh, it's it's kind of cut and sewn just for this individual. You can't get a really better, situ- a better situation than that. But on top of it, uh, which we mentioned earlier, he was 30 years old when he made this movie, he had also just had his own first son. So I feel like that also adds a lot to it because you're watching a black man navigate having a black child and Lawrence Fishburne was doing the same around the exact same time the movie came out. Wow. That was some research that was unexpected. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. So, Anthony, I find it really interesting that this part was written for Lawrence Fishburne. Um, I found myself watching it. Now when when I'm watching these things, I'm kind of running through my mind of like, okay, who else could have played this part, right? Um, And I don't know that he is the only person that could have played this part, even though I totally hear you. That's wild that he was watching him on fucking Pee Wee's Playhouse. I can't imagine anyone else turning in the performance in this manner in order to play off of, again, that there's this, there is this very weird underlying calm to him. Like, even when he's walking through the house when there's an intruder, like, nothing about that is brash and loud. It's, it's very calm, cool. Which I, I think then feeds into the later scenes where he's basically talking about what what does it mean to be a black man um, in this country, especially um, 
when you're going to add guns and police into the mix. Um, so I, I, I'm going to let Josh take the floor for a minute, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know that another performance would have worked as well as this one did. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add, but uh, my my big thing for this category was I don't think I wanted, you know, I can kind of look at roles and think of like, oh, what are some actors that I would like to see play this role or like might be fun to see in it? I don't think I have anybody that I would, that I want to see else take a stab at this role just because it was done so, it was done so beautifully. And it's... For me, it just comes down to that scene where he's interacting with the police and, you know, the cop is like, you know, they're they're having that interaction and his big response is like, you know, like, what's the problem? It's like, you don't know what, the, I don't forget what the lines are, but it's like, it's because you don't know what the problem is. And like, that could have gone so many different ways, but instead it's just cool, calm, collected, like. It's like, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed in every situation, and it's fucking beautiful. Um, and the fact that also he was having a kid at the same time as this is, that also makes me feel warm and fuzzy about it. Yeah, that's, that's wild. Uh, what do you give it? I also gave this a 10. I, yeah. Yeah, I gave this one a 9. I mean, didn't give it a perfect score just because... I'm sure I know there's people that know better about casting out there than I do. And just because my preference is to see him in this, uh, I guess this is about my preference though. That's why we're doing this podcast. Fuck it. I'll give it a 10 also. I don't need to argue what other people might think. I like that you just talked yourself into that. Anthony didn't even have to do that. All right. If you're ready, go ahead and take it, take it into transformation exploration. So transformation exploration, uh, this kind of bleeds into what I said previously, but a big thing there, I think, is the fact that he was 30 years old. And very much like a lot of other actors that kind of came out of his generation, they kind of feel like timeless and ageless. So when I went back to watch it, I was surprised to see how young he was. But the fact that he's 30 years old and he's navigating this as well as he is and he's making this look as effortless as he is, is incredible. And I think one of the things that also really ties into why this looks so good and why we get to see the growth and why we get to see the way this entire role kind of manifests and develops and blossoms into what it is, is the fact that John Singleton shot it in order. So the entire movie was done scene after scene after scene in the exact same way that we're watching it everybody's progressively getting older and getting to know their characters a little bit more. So the transformation exploration that we're seeing in the movie is actually him sinking his teeth further and further and further into the script. And I think on top of that too, you know, this is a precursor to a lot of the roles that we've seen him do later on. A lot of that wisdom that you see in The Matrix from uh, from Morpheus feels a lot like Furious Styles. He's this educator. He's this man of like the people. He's there because he wants to give something to you in the moment in a way that he feels like you will be able to digest it, that you will be able to let that permeate into everything that is happening in the moment. I think that this role is a true transformation, not just because of the way that it was filmed, but also the fact of it's something that then laid the groundwork for a lot of the work that we see later on. I have been thinking about this in the context of, have you guys watched Blackish? I watched so, the first season, yeah. So I've actually been thinking, I've been thinking about this role in the context of uh, his role on Blackish, in which he plays Anthony Anderson's father. 
He's not quite a deadbeat dad, but he's kind of like the character is not the greatest father in the whole world. Um, and, um, I think it's so interesting having watched this again now that, like, he must think about Boys in the Hood every time he gets a new script for Blackish, um, just in terms of, uh, that idea of, of playing the, this, oh, fa- yeah. this father to this, this modern child, right? That's growing up in a slightly different world than he is, yet still facing, um, many of the same social issues he he's facing. Um, so I I was I found this very fun to watch from that perspective, just because we do have so much of Lawrence Fishburne's career to look at. I you know transformative isn't the first word I think of when I would describe this performance, uh, but it does stacked you know stacked against his other performances, which namely for me is. Um, you know, Blackish, Apocalypse Now, and you know, in Apocalypse Now, he, like he plays like a kid that's, you know, in the military in Vietnam that's kind of in way over his head, and similar to which I didn't know that this sh- was shot in sequence, and I'm not sure if um, Apocalypse Now was shot in sequence, but it's very much a movie of watching these people on this boat, you know, go down the river to find this person. You're watching them deteriorate mentally and physically uh from you know what's happening around them so it 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 is interesting seeing uh, that he is still taking like these roles that are very much transformative in terms of where they start and where they end though it may not be like the most outwardly physical like kind of bold choices that you might expect normally uh what'd you give this one josh i gave this an eight i gave it a solid eight um, yeah, I also give this an eight. I feel like, um, it's an incredible performance. Um, but I, I don't know, uh, like how, une- ex- I know this is kind of our final category, but it's not, it's not totally unexpected for me. Like, I, I'm not totally shocked that Lawrence Fishburne can pull this off. Yeah. All right. So... I'll live with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, Anthony. Rebuttal. You're good. I don't have one. All right. I don't have one. The artist formerly known as Chicken Salad out of Chicken Shit. Now, there's no way that I can say that this script is Chicken Shit, because it is not. In fact, it was so phenomenal that it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, which is well-deserved. But I think the thing that we really do get to see here, which again ties into how it was filmed and ties into the way like, this whole movie kind of came about, is the sense of urgency and the amount of work that went into it, which then heightened everything. So the movie, like I said earlier, it was made really on the heels of Do the Right Thing. Columbia Pictures wanted to have something that was very similar, that was speaking to the moment, that had actors of color doing something that they were passionate about. So they greenlit the movie, they rushed it, they wanted it to happen, and they made this all happen for $6 million, which for a major movie like this is absolute pennies. But everybody that was involved with it realized what they were doing, knew what they were bringing to the table, and knew what they could potentially get out of it, which is why I think that we get so much out of this role and also out of the entire movie as a whole. One of the things that I thought that was super interesting, though, was like the name of his character, Furious Styles, which on paper kind of feels like, you know, this ridiculous name that nobody would ever have. <laughs> and in a lot of ways, still kind of is. But he even makes that work because it's something that permeates throughout the entire role. 
he's like the same like educator and like the same like stern dad that, like you like you know expect the entire movie but you don't really forget the fact that his name is furious because like it's underlying in everything that he does so the fact that he also makes this really immaculate script work and the fact that he also makes his name works he's turning something out of nothing as we kind of work through this category, I think we're all in agreement that this is uh, not a bad script, and it's actually the script, unfortunately, really holds up over time, um, or at least holds up yeah. in twenty twenty. Um, um, I I don't know that I have too much to say about this category other than the fact that um, he has. There are some beautiful monologues that he have been written for him, and he executes them flawlessly. And um, I, I seriously like. I went back and rewatched um, the gentrification monologue like twice because I afterwards on YouTube because I was just like, "Fuck, <laughs> this is so." Looking looking up gun stores and liquor stores yeah, in certain neighborhoods. Yeah. I, I was fucking doing that too. Uh, just because I have. I keep the number of people that keep bringing up the idea of black and black crime and just I'm like I'm just going to start sending this out um instead of trying to argue with people on social media I'm yeah. just going to post that a link to this because um he can say it better than than I ever can because I I don't know what to do with this category because it's very clear that this script I can't really find a way that the script is unsupportive of his performance or really anybody's performance it's just i mean anthony sold it to me as the movie did as being a masterful yet simple you know film so i mean i say you know i will say anthony that in the 11th hour you did sell me on that he has kind of like a like a name that like just on paper you're like was this a wrestling name or like what, what's going on here <laughs> it and it, it it's it's true it's kind of a, a weird it kind of it's it's this interesting balance of like you know this movie is about being you know in the hood and being in a rough neighbor you know rough areas so you, you know it's people that exist here and you know they're gonna have names that like you know like john davis or whatever you might think but you know that that doesn't matter you're still getting a respectable person out of him so it's in that sense like the name thing i actually i kind of bought but uh yeah i'm kind of lost for this this category i gave this a nine um i really really loved his performance here so you you gave this a score because it was good because it was a good script because here, yeah. here's 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 what I'm confused because I want to give this a low score because it's not a bad script but is this something that we figured out in the last episode? I don't I think what we I see what you're saying so yes I give it a good score not a perfect score but a very very high score because I thought that he um there w I wasn't watching it being like man I wish he had uh you know um I thought he um turned in a, a lovely a lovely performance um and he he did right by the script i think yeah yes that he did right by the script okay okay cool so i'm just gonna flip my score to the other side of the chart and take it from a two to an eight fair and last up we have body of proof 
Take it away. In the body of proof, as we look at his entire career and kind of everything that he's done, how does this stand out as a an, an addendum to his career, something that we did not see before? Uh, at this point, he was doing a lot of like you know smaller roles, stuff here or there. He was showing off his acting chops, but he never had anything quite like this before. And to be quite honest, I don't think he's had anything since. The other movies that he's done to me that kind of like define him are The Matrix and What's Love Got to Do With It. What's Love Got to Do With It came two years later, so this is kind of like right around the time that he was blowing up. But there's something about this role that feels so different than everything else. I look at it like it's almost an underrated pillar of like black dads and entertainment where it's like we look at like, you know, all of these other like, you know, actors who have given something that like when we think about what we want to be like as dads, we think about. But we never really considered just how grounded a performance that he gave with this that works and kind of becomes like the same mentality that you have when it comes to being a father to children. You want them to be able to do the right thing. You want them to be able to know right from wrong. You want them to be the people that you always wanted to be in society. And a lot of the lessons that he like lays out throughout this whole movie feel just as pertinent now as they did almost 30 years ago. Uh, that combined with the fact that it's unlike anything else that he's touched since means that this is easily like one of the pillars of like his entire resume. And I, again, say this and the two others, like his three best movies, three best roles ever. Uh, I don't know. I feel like we've already, we've already kind of tackled this one a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess I'll just say, like, if I had to put a, like, a, not a thesis statement, what's the opposite? Um, like, a concluding paragraph to, like, my yeah. feelings on it. I um, think this is an excellent performance. Um, but I'm not shocked it's an excellent performance. Like, I I really love Lawrence Fishburne as an actor. I think he's he has a presence. And I think the thing I was most shocked at was just how young he was. Um, he's so young, and yet he... I think that's the thing for me, that he has so much gravitas. Uh, mm-hmm. That's my, fa- my favorite part of watching this, is, is how he's able to reconcile these things. Because, like, Anthony, you're saying he's 30, and I'm 33, and, like, I don't know that I'm, I, can, I will ever be at that poised. So. Fair. Yeah, I, I couldn't say it any better. It, so I'm not going to try. Yeah, I gave this one an 8. Um, so I, I will I will it. also give that an eight. All right. Well, that concludes our scoring section of this podcast, and the results are in. And Anthony, you have received a total of eighty nine points this week, which actually makes this our highest Donofrio score ever. Would you like to make a speech? Uh, you know, I'll keep this one super short. Um, obviously big shout out to Larry Fishburne who started going by Lawrence Fishburne two movies after this Um, you know for bringing this to life Uh, but also you know big shout out to John Singleton rest in peace uh, for making this movie happen in the first place and being so passionate about it Uh, yeah that's it that's all I got this is Anthony's second or third win of the Vincent D'Onofrio Award Second, hey, I almost gave you three. Don't get upset. And we hope to see more wins from him in the future. I don't know why I'm British. Oh, and you have the uh, uh, Orion's Belt Award. Oh, wow, we haven't. The collar. We haven't had to talk about that in a while. Because I never lost it. 
Well, that's true. That's are you wearing is. your cat collar? I'm still wearing. I'm gonna get a tattooed on me. I think. Ooh. Oh my god! Right around my collar. And we're only we gonna do one more episode <laughs> after you get the tattoo. <laughs> Amazing. Well, this is um, our second full cycle. I'm so excited. Um, should so Josh is gonna go next episode. Um, oh we'll, boy. Josh will be up again. So the years available are ninety, ninety two. Uh, 94, 95, 98. Josh. Yeah? Your year God. is 1994. Let me just write that down. 1994. All right. I'm going to challenge myself this time. I'm going to find a real shit movie, and I'm going to, like, find a weird... I feel like we've been... We've been knocking it out of the park one too many times. I, I, I kind of want to struggle with something. <laughs> that was why I chose uh, uh, Jungle Fever without watching it, because I was just like, "Screw it! I'm a bat for the fence. I'm gonna point at the fence and just see what happens." Well, I got news. Yeah, I got news for you. Do you have oh. some choices? Oh uh, boy, lay them on me. So, um, I am. I'm. I'm gonna list out just the list because there are some good ones in here, but there's also some trash in here. Okay, so um, this was the year that Pulp Fiction came out. Okay, Um, not doing that. And Forrest Gump. Um, However, it's also the year that D2 The Mighty Ducks came out. Um, (laughs) And True Lies. And The Mask. Uh, You don't choose Dennis Hopper in Speed? You're a coward. Yep, I also just want to call out that this is the year that the movie... Baby's Day Out came out, and oh! and the Flintstones. So, um, Dog, oh the my Flintstones, God. Blank Check, and Richie Rich, and Little Rascals came out the same year, and I'm realizing I haven't been happy since. Like, this is incredible. Yeah. So, Josh, okay. you, you have, you, also the animated classic The Lion King um, came out this year, so there, there's a lot of options. Thanks for joining us this week. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite listening platform. Um, we love those stars. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter or both at, at not to Oscars. That's N-O-T-D-O-S-C-A-R-S. Or if you have a performance that you'd like to submit to us for consideration for a Vincent D'Onofrio Award, you can email us at getmesugarwater at gmail.com. We'll see you next week.